Well, good morning, everybody. Yeah, good morning, everybody. That's good. Uh, Wow, isn't it uh, great to be back uh, in person, uh, at least for some of us? Hello uh, to you if you're joining us online again. We'd love to see you back in church, so uh, get in early uh, tomorrow morning. Church at 2508anglican.org. Who was that smooth unit that just went... Uh, to sit down. We've got a Jason Statham lookalike in the, uh, in the building. Nice work, Nate. Um, the facial hair is uh, fabulous. Uh, some of you look like you haven't changed at all. I've got a bit of a COVID keg going on, which I, I look forward to, uh, to getting rid of. And uh, I'd have to say it's an absolute torture for a guy like me with my kind of personality to have the opportunity now to uh, uh, speak to you in person, which is fantastic, but not being allowed to move because of the live stream. See, I can't walk around and do all this. See, I just, fell off the, I just fell off the screen, didn't I? So I'm going to have to stand still and try and look as active as possible, uh, which is quite a challenge. I've always been that guy who never sat still. So uh, here we are. Lovely to see you as we jump into Colossians chapter 3 together. Well, you know, at work, I tend to talk a lot. This is my day job uh, as an IT guy. I tend to talk a lot with business customers about this thing called digital transformation. Digital transformation. It's really uh, a conversation that's focused on how you can automate as much of your product and services uh, to deliver them to your customer in a better, faster way. It's about reducing the total cost of operations, about improving the customer experience and the speed with which you can innovate uh, on a digital platform. And not surprisingly, in the marketplace, uh, our marketers have gotten hold of this idea of digital transformation, and you really don't have to look too far, and marketers have got wonderful uh, documents like the three steps to digital transformation. Well, today I'm not going to be talking to you about those three steps for digital transformation, and I can see in the building quite a few people upset about that, I'm sorry. Uh, Rather... We're going to be digging into Colossians 3 and looking at the three steps to spiritual transformation in Christ. The three steps to spiritual transformation in Christ. Does that sound good? Sound like something we could be having a look at? I think so too. How about we pray? Father, we thank you for this uh, great time to uh, draw together in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled by the blood of Christ to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. Father, we thank you that as believers we can come together in your name, that we can meet together in this building and online, that we can hear what it is that you have to say, understand it by your spirit and be changed just a little more into the likeness of your son. Father, you've made us alive in Christ. Help us to understand how to live that out Help me to speak clearly and help us to be challenged by what we hear. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Well, for those of you who like to go to the answer in the book for things like the three steps to, I'm going to give it to you straight up, which kind of helps for those who like to take notes as well. There are three steps to spiritual transformation in Christ Jesus according to Colossians 3, and here they are. The first is... Set your heart and mind on things above in Christ Jesus. Set your heart and mind on things above in Christ Jesus. The second is put off and put on. Put off and put on. 
And the third is to dwell in the word of Christ. And I'd really like for us uh, both to retain uh, the steps, but also perhaps to remember the body signals too, because that helps us to learn. Set your hearts and minds on things above, put off, put on, and dwell in the word of Christ. Now, for context, to set the scene for us, we're actually going to begin in a passage that Ryan brought to us last week in Romans chapter 2, verse 13. And it says in Romans chapter, sorry, Romans, I beg your pardon, Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Colossians 2, verse 13. Paul says, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses. God had made these young Christians at Colossae alive in Christ when they were dead in their trespasses, when they were dead in their sins. And today's chapter, chapter 3, it then is about how these young Christians at Colossae should live. If you've been made alive in Christ, what now? And so we get to our first point. Set your heart and mind on things above in Christ Jesus. Uh, Let's read together uh, Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this translation says in verse 1, seek the things above. The NIV translation says, set your heart on things above, which is why I've suggested the point should be set your heart and your mind on things above, where Christ is, as it says Uh, at the end of verse 1. As people that have been made alive to God, this Colossian church was encouraged to change what it is that fuels them, their heart, and what it is that drives them, what motivates them to do what they do, their mind. And it's because of what Christ has done. The passage uh, spells out for us some really helpful points. You see, there's a change that takes place for somebody when they come to Christ. See verse 3, and I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. Verse 3, you've died. Step one, you've died. You've died to sin. The old self, by law, has died. Verse 1, you've been raised. You've been raised with Christ, raised in life with him. Verse 3, you've been hidden with Christ. And verse 4, you will be glorified in him. So in Christ, I am dead to sin, raised with Christ, hid with Christ, and I will be glorified with Christ when he returns. Now, none of this should come as a surprise to the reader, since this theme's actually been pretty constant throughout Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapters 1 and 2. There's this recurring theme of the supremacy of Christ, what it is that Christ has actually done for us, the theme of death to sin, of renewal in Jesus. And today, there's this statement of being hidden with Christ. 
I wonder what you think that means. What does it mean to be hidden with Christ? Well, I think uh, there are a couple of clues that we get from this, actually way back in chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1. And there's three things. To be hidden with Christ means, first of all, that we are presented holy to God. That is, that God looks on us and sees his son. Colossians chapter 1 verse 22 says, He, that's Jesus, has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. To be hidden with Christ means that God looks on you like he looks on his son. Secondly, to be hidden with Christ means that you have an inheritance. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 12, he's qualified you to share in the inheritance. And one twelve says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. So to be hidden with Christ means that there's a, a, a presentation that we're presented wholly to God that we've got an inheritance, and finally, that it's guaranteed for you. It's hidden, preserved for you, stored up for you. Uh, Colossians chapter 1 verse 5 says, laid up for you in heaven. Some of you might remember uh, the very encouraging message uh, brought to us uh, by Matt on 1 Peter, where it talks about uh, this salvation being saved up for us. There's this idea that you are hidden in Christ, that something is being preserved and laid up for you. Um, but it's a reality about who you are today too. A bit of a paradox, uh, but well worth thinking about. So, because of these truths, it should drive a new way of thinking for us. We need to set our hearts and minds on things above in Christ Jesus and ultimately, that might mean a few things about how you choose to live. You see, it's no longer about you. It's no longer about me, what I've done, what I have, what I want. But it's all about what Christ Jesus has done for me. I've put to death my sin. I've been raised with Christ Jesus. I've been hidden in him. And when he returns... I will be glorified. And so that should drive a new way of living, a new reality for uh, the Christians at Colossae, and so too for us. My life from non-Christian to Christian should bring about a drastic change, a drastic change. Now, for the Colossian church, there was a practical outworking of this big change given to us in uh, some suggested behavioural changes, if you like, that Paul made uh, to the church in verse 5, uh, chapter 3, verse 5. But before we get there, there's an important paradox that we need to wrestle a little with first. Some of you have had the opportunity to talk to me about this as I've been thinking about the message. Uh, I want you just to look uh, with me very closely at verse 3 and then the start of verse 5. Verse 3... And then the start of verse 5. Verse 3 says, for you have died. And then verse 5 says, put to death 
well, which is it? For you died, why and what am I putting to death? I mean, surely if I'm dead to sin, then it means I'll no longer keep sinning, right? Wrong. We know that not to be true. We confessed uh, our sins uh, together in the building and online today. We know that not to be true. But there's a question there. If I really am dead to sin, then why do I keep on sinning? If I really am dead to sin, what's sin all about then? Many of you uh, might be familiar uh, it might have been as recent as this morning. When you come to the Lord in, in repentance and you cry out to the Lord, you say, Lord, have mercy on me in Jesus. And of course, we know the promise of sure forgiveness in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But then a second later, you find yourself in sin. I mean, what's that all about? What's going on? How can this be? Am I really dead to sin? Well, the Apostle Paul wrestles a great deal with this uh, in Romans uh, chapter 7. It, uh, for some of you, might be uh, a very tough-to-understand passage. I'm going to do my level best to explain it in a couple of seconds, but I'm going to read the passage first. Uh, You can turn with me, if you like, to Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, verse 15. And so Paul, in this chapter, has been wrestling with the idea of what the law existed for and... Uh, what the law of Christ is all about. And uh, he reflects on this reality and about his own behaviour in Romans chapter 7, verse 15. Uh, And I'd like for you to try and connect connect with some of the heart of the frustration that the Apostle uh, Paul uh, demonstrates in this passage. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. On to verse 18, halfway through. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Through to verse 21. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Paul highlights this struggle of being dead to sin but alive in Christ. He says this old law of sin where I wasn't even capable of doing the right thing is at war with this new law of Christ where now I have a choice to do the right thing and to not sin. And I was trying to think of an illustration to uh, make sense of this. Here's my best. I thought of a few different ones, but this is the one I ended up with. Uh, It's like being given a heart transplant. Like being given a heart transplant. A new heart that's perfect in every way. Your old heart's been put out, pulled out, and a new heart has been put in. And yet this new heart is being put into a sinful or a very different body. And like a real transplant, 
your body fights against this foreign agent, this foreign agent, this new heart. And so there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on between sin and doing the right thing. I don't know where you're at today, but perhaps as you think on your life, you might be terribly weary of this battle. Uh, I belong to Christ. I'm so thankful for the goodness that Jesus has shown to me, and yet I sin. Maybe you're painfully aware of just how broken you are, so much not like Jesus that it frustrates you. Well, friend, you're not alone. You're not unusual. But like Paul, if you trust in Jesus, you're also delivered through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The good news is you will stop sinning. You will. That is, you'll be perfect when Christ returns or God calls you home. The bad news, you'll be struggling with sin until Christ returns or God calls you home. But friends, you're hid with Christ. And so becoming dead to sin is a daily thing. We go through this process on a daily, perhaps even on a minute or a second-by-second basis. We will finally be fully dead to sin. That's the hope of Christ when he returns or, uh, or when you die. Until then, it is a battle. And some you'll win and lots you'll lose. But the war, the victory over death from sin has already been won in Christ Jesus, which is why Paul reminds us that we have died and now we've been uh, raised with Christ, we've been hid with Christ, and when he returns we'll be perfect and we'll be glorified with Christ. And there's this wonderful little nugget back in uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. This wonderful little nugget of truth in the passage, it says, you're being renewed in knowledge after the image of your creator. It's something that's happening on a regular basis. It's not a one-stop shop. You are being renewed. You are being renewed. And that will continue to take place over the course of your life. So your mind is being renewed and your heart is being renewed. So set your hearts and minds on things above in Christ Jesus. And secondly... Put off and put on. Put off and put on. I've gotten a little bigger and the jacket feels a bit tight. Uh, This phrase actually reminds me of a lesson taught to the karate kid in a movie back in 1984. Um, uh, Some of you will remember that. Uh, Many of you will be wondering what on earth I'm talking about. Uh, In that uh, movie, the instructor forces the karate kid to wash a whole bunch of cars and he says, wax on, wax off, wax on, wax off. And the guy very frustratingly uh, does it, later finds out, in fact, that it's a very important karate move, wax on, wax off. I didn't quite get it. But uh, we're not going to be thinking about wax on and wax off this morning. We're going to be thinking about putting off and putting on putting off and putting on. So what is it that we actually have to put off? Let's read together Colossians chapter 3, verse uh, 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, 
impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So there we have the behavioural attributes that Paul has asked, reminded, instructed the church at Colossae to put off, to put off. I wonder, as you look at that list, are there ones that you struggle to put off? Are there ones that you uh, struggle to put to death? The church at Colossae was... Uh, culturally or historically known as being a terribly uh, sexually immoral uh, society, uh, a thinking about things that said, I can take what I want when I want. I can do what I want when I want. But this is not the case for uh, the new Christians. In a, in a sexual context, context, there was a culture that they said that made them think they could enjoy what it is that they wanted and take what it is that they needed. This idolatry, which placed experience and self above everything else, is the reason for God's wrath. This self-centered, opposed to God behavior must be put to death, not gently tolerated, like an uncle that comes around a couple of times a year, not loved and put in a corner and tried to be forgotten about, but put to death, put to death. If you're alive in Christ, then these things have got to go. Well, what sin in you needs to be put to death? What habits and things are there that you do in your life that reflect your old dead self? Because that's what it is. That sin is your old, dead, yucky self. So put it off. Put it off. Like a coat or an old garment, you need to put it off. In fact, put it to death. Anything that is not Christ-centered as the new boss of your life needs to be put to death. So the church at Colossae were reminded by the Apostle Paul that being made alive in Christ not only means that they need to set their hearts and minds on things above in Christ, but there are some things that they really need to change, that they need to put to death, to take off this old dead self and to put something on the new self. Let's have a look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Since we're chosen by God at verse 12, set apart that is holy and loved dearly by him in Christ, we're to put on these things. So we've done the putting off of the old dead self and we're going to put on these new behaviours and attributes. 
And I wonder if any of these spring off the page at you this morning. Are there some attributes that you find hard to put on? Like putting on a beautiful woolen fabric. It looks great, but it can kind of feel a bit itchy on the skin. Is there something here that you find particularly difficult to put on in this battle against sin? In a quiet moment for me, I would have to say it's the humility, meekness and patience. I want life to be about me and how people make me feel good. Uh, That's not being humble. (laughs) It's certainly not being meek. And if you don't hurry up about it, I'll get pretty grumpy. So that's certainly not being patient either. But uh, this passage reminds us to put on these attributes. And it's all summed up or driven or motivated by love. Love, verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So you've got these attributes, and above all of those attributes and behaviours you are to put on love, the love of Christ, which should be the new motivation for you, the new way of thinking for you about how it is that you relate to others. Just uh, interestingly, the passage also shows us that growing in Christ Jesus is a one another thing. It's very easy to be humble, meek, patient, kind, to have a compassionate heart when I'm on my own. Not quite so easy when I have to, verse 13, bear with one another and forgive one another. But having set my heart and mind on things above in Christ Jesus, I put off old behaviour and by his love, I put on these new attributes. And it contrasts the division that was clear in Paul's statement uh, back in verse 11. In verse 11 of the same uh, chapter, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. So as we put off these old behaviours, we are to put on these Christ-like behaviours and of all that we put on, sorry, uh, of most importance, that we put on love. What do you need to put on today as you look at that list? What is it that you need to prayerfully ask the Lord with some help on today? Because there's a putting off and there's a putting on. And then finally, point three, there's a dwelling in, a dwelling in. In. Let's have a look at verse 16 together. Let the word of Christ, Christ <clears throat> pardon me, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Dwelling in the word of Christ. That is, to dwell in his word, his truth, the Bible. That we should be so indwelled in it that it marinates our hearts and our minds as we soak it up. And having been marinated in it, we can, fueled by the love of Christ with thankfulness, we can do a couple of things really, really well. We can teach, 
We can correct, we can encourage, we can sing, we can build one another up and remind each other of the great gift of Jesus. And as I thought on this this week, I asked myself the question. I'm going to ask you the same question. What would the world look like for you if whatever you did in word or deed, that you did everything in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake and for his glory? What did it look like if as a church... We did everything, in word, whether in word or in deed, that we did everything for and in the name of the Lord Jesus because that's what we aspire to do, isn't it? That's what we're here to do. That somehow that would set us apart as God's people from society. It was exactly the same for the church at Colossae. The behavioural attributes that were set out in this passage were supposed to set the church at Colossae apart, and it should be for us too. Now, at this point, you might expect it to be actually a really good spot to finish. We are at the third point, after all. But you might have noticed that in your Bibles, there's probably even a new heading for Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to 25. So let me ask you a question. Where is the the instructions that you've just received summed up in the whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus most tested? Where is it most tested? Could it be in marriages? Could it be in family life, in obeying your parents? Could it be in the workplace? Because Paul, having reminded the church at Colossae that they are made alive in Christ to set their hearts and minds on things above in Christ Jesus, to put off and to put on and to dwell in his word, now talks about some specific things that really need to change if your behaviours are put to death. Now, I'm not going to give this section justice uh, for economy's sake, but here's a really quick run through. Let's read together uh, Colossians 3, 18 through 25. Wives... Submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So the place where these new attributes are going to be most tempted, most uh, challenged, are in marriages, in families, in the workplace. Wives, submit to your husbands. What a terribly unpopular phrase uh, that has been in uh, contemporary society. For the Colossians, who had this terribly rife sexual immorality, remember there was a real take what you want, do what you want lifestyle. But now being made alive in Christ Jesus, the new model for marriage is submission for the wife to a husband who loves his wife like Christ does. 
It's a sensible submission when you think about it. Kind of like stopping at a red light prevents me from being killed. It's fitting to the Lord because the Christly model of marriage is one of love and sacrifice of a devotion uh, from a husband being like Christ to his wife. And logically, it makes sense then that a wife would submit to her husband. This model for Christian marriage is set out really, really well in Ephesians uh, chapter 5. By all means, uh, jump in there and have a look at that uh, perhaps in your quiet times later. But wives are to submit to to your husbands and the husbands uh, are to be as Christ to their church and not to be harsh for them. Children, what children, what are children supposed to do? Well, Paul's instruction, children, is that you obey your parents in everything. Again, the Christian model is that parents who are honouring Christ are to be obeyed in everything. That if parents are doing everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, that again, it would be logical that the children would obey their parents. And there's a model for governance and obedience that's fitting for us in this family model as we think about our own relationship to our Lord and Father in heaven. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. The Christian model for a father who sets his heart and mind on Christ is that he wouldn't push his children to anger or mock them or harass them or bring them down. That's not an easy one to do, is it, dads? And bond servants, we don't have... uh, too many slaves or masters in this world, except we do have bosses, don't we? We need to obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not just by eye service or lip service, but with a sincerity of heart. Why? Because whatever you do, work at it heartily for the Lord and not for men. That was a phrase that I was given as a young Uh, child from an old bloke at my church whatever you do work at it for the Lord and not for men great advice don't uh, be working uh, for men be working for the Lord and then the passage finally notes that those who don't do right the wrongdoers will actually suffer the consequence of their wrongdoing but you you work at everything for the Lord and not for men so which one of these people are you Are you the wife? Are you the child? Are you the father? Are you the worker? Are you many of those? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for man. So there it is. There's your three steps to spiritual transformation in Christ Jesus. You might have worked out that this is not just a one-time process. You don't just need to do it once and life will be beautiful. It's a daily rinse and repeat process. What are we going to do? Let's uh, have a little bit of a test. Um, I'd like to see, if you can put your things down, you'll need your hands for this. What are we going to remember in terms of our, our body language? We need to do some things, right? Step one, set your heart and mind on things above in Christ Jesus. What's the second one? Put off... And put on uh, these wonderful new behaviours set out for us. Why? Because we belong to Christ and we're bound by love for one another. And thirdly, what have we got to do? Dwell in. Dwell in the word of Christ. Uh, 
I hope that was encouraging for you. Um, another wonderful thought came to mind this week. I'm going to read it out to you. And uh, if you rem- uh, were taught this song as a kid, my hope is that perhaps a little bit irritatingly, it will stick in your mind all day. It goes like this. Little by little, every day. Little by little, in every way, Jesus is changing me. He's changing me. Since I made that turnabout face, I've been growing in his grace. Jesus is changing me. He's changing me, my precious saviour. I'm not the same person that I used to be. And it's been slow going. But there's a knowing that one day, perfect, I will be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that it is possible for us to be transformed more and more into the likeness of your son, not because of uh, who we are or what we do, but because of the incredible thing that you've given to us in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we have died to sin, that we have been raised with Christ, that we are now hid with you and that we will be glorified with you, that, that one day perfect we will be. Lord, help us to live out uh, these instructions that you've given us today that we would be dwelling in your word and looking for ways to encourage, to sing, to remind, to teach and admonish one another. That, Father, this would be a place where it's clearly demonstrated how set apart we are from the world outside. Father, we thank you so much for this chance to dwell in your word today. We ask that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many of you might have uh, some thoughts, comments or questions. Uh, Now's a good time for you just to spend a bit of time uh, in quiet reflection, uh, about 90 seconds or so. If you've got uh, some questions, please go to slido.com, hashtag HBSP, and uh, we'll be back at the back end of this service to talk about those. And if you've got some comments or questions, chuck them in the YouTube chat and uh, Ella will bring those to us. Uh, How about you spend some time thinking?